Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so happy you tuned in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Endoband. Endoband provides you with a quick and easy workout on the go. Today's guest is someone I went to high school with and haven't seen in many, many years. I recently discovered, thanks Facebook, that she's an art therapist and wanted to learn more about what she does, why and how she does it, and who she works with. So welcome, Sophia Saad. Hi, thanks for having me. So happy to have you here. First podcast, yeah? First podcast, a little strange, but (laughs) I'll get used to this. All good. We're going to have fun. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Okay. So I'm actually from New York, and Harper and I just spoke about the fact that I've actually never lived anywhere else. So born and raised, not leaving. Um, I am an art therapist, but... I'm also a special educator, and my career as an art therapist actually started through special education. I straight out of high school decided that I was going to go into the special education field, and there wasn't necessarily something strong pulling me into it, but I was very interested in special education. I wanted to take the chance in it and learning what it would be to be a teacher and teaching kids with various needs. Why was that of interest to you? Like, where did that even stem from? So there are many different reasons why, but it all really stems from my family. I have a sister who has a language processing disorder. And it's really funny because if you look at her now, you would never know. She went to Binghamton, graduated with all honors, and then is finishing up at Columbia Grad School for social work and is getting jobs like thrown at her. So in my family, we kind of always laugh about that she is the one with a disorder or a learning disability because you wouldn't know. Because she had the right treatment growing up or? Yeah, she went to Churchill. She got all the education that she needed. She learned the tools that she needed to actually excel in being a student and also just being a member of her community. So Churchill's really good for that. If you want to explain a little bit about what Churchill is. Yeah. Churchill is a special education school in Manhattan and it's for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD. And it just provides a different learning environment for kids with different learning needs. So with her, you saw like what kind of impact a school could have and the types of teachers could impact a kid in their development. And that was something that was interesting to you to get into. That interests me a whole lot. And I also saw it with one of my cousins who also had learning disabilities and he ended up going to the Aaron school and I got to visit him and take a tour of the school and just see all the different techniques that they use to actually make learning fun. And that was something that I always wanted to do was make learning fun, especially because growing up, I personally didn't love school. Like I one of the many (laughs) reasons why we always loved each other. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. No, school 
I loved being at school. I loved talking with my teachers and learning in that way, but I hated sitting down and reading. I wasn't a fast reader, so to me, I always thought that I was dumb or stupid in that sense, and I couldn't necessarily articulate myself in a great way through paper, through written form. So because of all of that, I was just like, ah, school's not, I'm not into it, and teachers never necessarily made me feel that I was smart. But I always knew in a way that I was in my own way. And I think that also came from my family because they always appreciated each one of my sisters for like who we were and what we actually had to offer. I can totally relate to that. I think about my mom and I recently found my report cards from high school and they're so horrendous because everyone is like, Harper has such potential, but she talks too much or she didn't finish her homework. I just didn't care enough. And when it came to like history, science and math, I was absolutely horrible. But when it came to the creative stuff, whether it was art class or creative writing, I totally excelled. But those weren't things that were appreciated in regular curricular. It was like those were the extracurricular stuff. So we don't really care if you do well in those things. And you're not going to have a career in that stuff. So you better be better at math. Yeah, exactly. And it just didn't relate to who I was. But to your point, my parents clearly saw who I was. And I think about the SATs and I wonder your thoughts on that of them saying, we know that you're not going to do well on the SATs because you're not a standardized test expert at all and you're never going to be. And just sort of came to terms with that, that I took them and did fine, but let's not force you to be something you're not. Yeah, that's actually how I approached the SATs. And I had a fantastic tutor who helped me in that way. He was like, this isn't your strong suit. And I know that until this day, I know that I'm not a good test taker. And he taught me how to take the SATs in a way that was going to benefit me and my type of learning. I had that with an ACT tutor. I didn't even take the SATs because it was so clear I was not going to do anything. I wasn't going to get a score that was going to help me get into college. So it's clear that this was something of interest to you in high school. Yeah. So then when you went to NYU, what did you major in? So when I went to NYU, I actually went as an undergrad and I majored in early childhood special ed and general ed and I minored in psychology. But I wanted to work in the special education field. I wanted to work with kids with autism and kids with Down syndrome. And that actually came from an interesting experience when I was really young. I think I was maybe around six years old. I was in Israel vacationing with my family, and my mom and dad both have a lot of family who still live in Israel. So one day we all went to visit my father's aunt. My grandmother actually has 12 siblings, so we went to visit a bunch of them, and he had this aunt named Linda. And when I went to visit Linda and everyone else, I remember being scared when I first saw her, and I hid in the bathroom. The reason why I was scared was because she looked different and she sounded different. She had Down syndrome. And I remember speaking to my mom and my mom coming to talk to me. I don't remember what she said. I don't remember what made me become more comfortable around Linda. But once I did, I never wanted to leave. Like All I wanted to do was spend time with Linda because she was funny and she was caring and she made me laugh and we had a good time together. 
I started realizing who she was. And I didn't see her as someone with Down syndrome. I just saw her for who she was. And I wanted to make sure that in my life, I could help other people see children for who they are and not necessarily their disability or their differences. The more I got into the field, I also realized that I want to make children with disabilities appreciate who they are and know who they are aside from their diagnosis or their disability. I love that. Thanks. That's amazing. So in college, you remembered that or you like at what point did that memory that you just shared come back to you? I always think about it. And I remember actually sitting with Mr. Sackle, our college advisor, and thinking about like, what could I actually do? What is something that I'm good at? And I didn't know if I would be a good teacher. I had no idea. But I knew that I would be great around kids with special needs. I didn't really know why, but it was just a feeling. And once I got into that field, I recognized quickly, like, this was something I need to do. So once you graduated from NYU, what kind of work were you doing? Is it what you're doing now or similar? Similar. So when I graduated from NYU, I got my first teaching job at the Stephen Gaynor School, which is a special education school for kids. Which, by the way, I think I took my ACTs there. You did? <laughs> yeah. I'm like hearing the name and I'm going, wait, why does this one sound familiar to me? Yeah. There yeah, you go. Sure. All full comes circle. full circle. <laughs> Okay, yes. the Stephen Gaynor School. Okay, so I started working at the Stephen Gaynor School, which actually at first I did not want to work at because it's a school for kids with learning disabilities and ADHD and language processing disorders. I wanted to work with kids with Down syndrome and autism. So it wasn't necessarily the exact field. But I interviewed there and I loved the school because of their philosophy in teaching. And they said to me, you know your students, you know how they are going to learn best. So these are the topics that you have to teach that you need to hit, but figure out how you're going to teach and get your students interested in learning. Oh my God, that's and incredible. And I, like, I was like, I need to work here. <laughs> so the year that I applied, they were starting to develop an early childhood division. And I- What year is this? 2009. Okay. So- in 2009, I started working at Stephen Gaynor as an assistant teacher, and I worked as an assistant teacher for two years, and they asked me to become a head teacher, but with that, I needed my master's. And as I was working, art was always in my background. I actually almost changed career paths as an undergraduate student because I heard of art therapy, and I was like, oh, art therapy, this is so interesting. And like, I love therapy. I love art. I want to see like what that actually is. And when I started teaching, I realized how many art therapy techniques or ideas I was implementing into teaching, um, whether it was teaching content or just teaching socialization skills or emotional development. And I realized that schools in general, but schools with kids with learning disabilities, especially language processing disorders, should have art therapy. So when they asked me to get my master's, I asked if I could get my degree in art therapy and would that be sufficient enough to be a teacher here? And they said yes. Wow. This is an amazing school. It is. 
And I at first thought that I would go to graduate school part time and teach. And I couldn't do it. The program was a full time program. So I left teaching for two years. And I always stayed in communication with the school, especially with my directors. And they were kind of like my supervisors in a way and people that I would always look up to. After I graduated from graduate school, I came back to Stephen Gaynor and I said, I want to be a teacher here, but I need to bring art therapy with me. And they let me start an art therapy program for the early childhood division. So I was teaching and then I chose not to teach one subject, which was science. And I would choose not to teach that also. (laughs) It was hard to choose the subject, but I was like, I love social studies. I love literacy. I could give science up. I'll give it up, (laughs) even though it's, it's actually awesome to teach. But I wanted to do art therapy. So we actually came up with a different name for it, which we call it therapeutic art. And whenever my class had science, I would go into the other two early childhood classes and run therapeutic art groups for the school. So what does that mean? What does therapeutic art mean? Okay. So therapeutic art is a little different than art therapy on its own because this is therapeutic art for a school. So therapeutic art at Stephen Gaynor is um, working on emotional and social goals that are also goals in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So what I focus on is communicating with the teachers, communicating with the director of the early childhood division and focusing on the needs of the students as a group. And um, what we do is we focus on developing emotional intelligence with the students, but also on giving them a way to express themselves without the need of language to actually use language to talk about how they're feeling because as children and even adults using or finding the right language to articulate yourself is complicated so especially for a child that's even harder but also for a child with a language processing disorder or even a learning disorder it's even harder. So I'm giving them the opportunity to express themselves, but also the opportunity to work on socialization skills such as um, conflict resolution, compromising, flexible thinking, and also giving them the opportunity to share things that they don't like. So one thing that I always do in therapeutic art is at the end, we have a time to share, to close and share. And I asked them, mostly this is the question, um, what's one thing that you liked about either therapeutic art group, about working with someone, or what's something that you did not like? And a lot of the students take that opportunity to share what they didn't like. And sometimes they also focus on the fact of how they changed that up. So there was something that was bothering them and that they end up realizing that they were able to make a change to feel more comfortable. And sometimes it's also just sitting with the fact that, no, this sucked. I felt disappointed. And yeah, we can't fix everything. We just have to kind of sit with our discomfort or our um, feelings, but also sit with them in a appropriate manner. Got it. And so when you say arts, are we talking coloring, painting, physical, like dance? It's mostly studio art. So we'll 
paint, we'll use clay, we'll use stop motion activity. So it's kind of like creating a video or a comic book in a way. And there's also a lot of creative movement involved as well. So for example, I do a lot of mandala work, but before we get into mandala making, a lot of times, depending on the class, I'll bring in hula hoops and we'll kind of use a physical space of understanding what like space is and what a mandala is and how you could use mandalas to actually communicate with the people around you. And I sometimes challenge them where I call the mandala their space and the outside is the shared space. And I ask them to communicate with each other without leaving their space. And how are you going to communicate even just by talking to each other? But how are you going to communicate and share materials with each other without leaving your space? That's amazing. So cool. It's a lot of fun. So are you seeing these kids on a weekly basis, a daily basis? I see them on a weekly basis. And what ages are they? So their early childhood division starts around age like three, four. It depends on the year. Sometimes um, the youngest student is four, sometimes three. So I would say the students that get therapeutic art are between three and six. And what kind of responses are you getting from the kids, the parents, the school, now that you've integrated this into the program for how long? Wow. Um, I came back in 2013. So about, what is that? Like six, six years? years now. So um, I'm getting a great response from, I would say, the faculty as well as the students. The students are always eager for therapeutic art. They enjoy it. It's something that they look forward to. And then also from the other psychologists and directors, because in a way, it all comes full circle. I work as a team. So when these school psychologists are working on specific issues with the students or when the school is actually bringing in an emotional development program, I incorporate it into art therapy so that the students are getting another opportunity to express themselves and understand that program as well. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Endoband. For someone like me who spends way too much time on my laptop and also loves to travel, the ease of having my Endoband in my backpack or my suitcase allows me to work out anytime, anywhere. Endo stands for no days off. Stretch anywhere without having to go to the gym or pay for a class. The Endoband helps me wake up, fight midday fatigue, and get a mini workout in while traveling. Endo bands come in several different colors and can even wrap around your wrists like a bracelet. After working at events for many years, I've seen gift bags filled with a lot of crap that immediately gets thrown out. The endo band is the perfect item to include in your corporate programming or upcoming event gift bag as you can brand it with your logo. Then your employees or clients will have a useful product that will help them feel good and automatically associate it with you. Get your Endoband at endoband.com and use promo code MVP for 20% off your entire purchase. That's N-D-O-Band.com, promo code MVP for 20% off. Your body doesn't take days off. Why should you? Now, back to the show. So you said there's a difference between art therapy and therapeutic art. What is that? When I refer to therapeutic art, I'm thinking about the art therapy program at the Stephen Gaynor School. And a lot of times 
school-based art therapy isn't necessarily just what the art therapist wants to do. And you can't necessarily think of one person. You're thinking about a group, but you're also thinking about how art therapy could fit inside of the school because you don't want it to be a program that lasts for a year. You want it to actually coincide with the culture of the school. So you're thinking about it in a different way. And then art therapy as a private practice, it's it's what I make of it, but it's what my clients as an individual needs from me. So when did you decide to start seeing clients privately and why? I started seeing clients privately, I think in 2014. Um, I was tutoring privately. So I also wanted to see clients for art therapy privately as well, because it was something that I wanted to further in my career. And I always struggled with the fact that I loved teaching and I loved art therapy equally. There wasn't one that I loved more than the other. And I was lucky enough that at the school that I worked at, I was able to mesh both of them. But privately, I wanted to see where I could push art therapy. So I started seeing clients privately after work. And over the years, I realized that I wanted to build my art therapy career. And it was getting complicated working full time at a school as a head teacher and also trying to build my career as an art therapist. So last year, I decided that it would be my final year teaching. And this year, I opened up my practice. And I offer two different types of services in my practice. So one is art therapy for social emotional development. And one I refer to as therapeutic tutoring, which is tutoring or working on cognitive growth, but also implementing art therapy or yoga into the tutoring session. So interesting. I mean, it's like, it just makes me think how much better, even without learning disabilities or any sort of, you know, challenges as far as I was diagnosed back in the day, how valuable these things would have been for someone like me who just didn't fit within the box of a traditional school. And again, it's not like I, you know, had a certain diagnosis, but I think that there's people obviously you being one of them, recognizing that this is just a better way of learning and that there's a way for it all to be integrated. Yeah. And I think that's important to also touch upon that art therapy or therapeutic tutoring isn't just for children with a learning disorder. Um, And it's not even just for children. Art therapy is used for adults. So it's just another mental health profession using a creative process to express yourself. And so how did you decide when you started your practice to focus on kids as opposed to adults? And is it the same age bracket that you work with in the school? The age bracket that I see for my practice is a wide, there's a wider range. I see children from around three years old to young adolescents, like, um, like tween age, 12, 13. And at the school, it's only three to six years of age. So it's a little bit of a stretch there. But the reason why I decided to focus on children is because I feel like I still have so much to offer, even though I left the classroom. There's something that I just understand about or connect with children with either 
emotional development challenges or um, learning differences. And I want to be a resource for them and I want to be able to support children. And how does that work? Like, is that covered by insurance? So some insurance companies do cover art therapy. I personally don't accept insurance, but if somebody did have an insurance policy that accepts it, I would be able to give them a reference number and they could then get money back. Got it. And is it something where you're working with someone over a certain period of time trying to get them to reach a specific goal? Is it an ongoing thing? Like, how do you track the progress? And is that something that's important to do? Yeah, it's, I think, always tracking progress or knowing whether or not your client is making progress is important, whether it's through talk therapy or like traditional talk therapy or art therapy. One way that I track whether or not someone is making progress is if they're able to express themselves or talk more about their issues or their challenges in a more open manner, whether or not they are using tools that I teach and guide them to learn and actually use in their daily life, if they're able to implement them more on their own. So those are a couple of ways that I track if whether or not they're making progress. I guess it's similar in to uh, traditional talk therapy that depending on the person, therapy could take a couple of months, therapy could take a few years, or it could be short term. So it really just depends on the client and how they're responding to therapy, and then also what their actual goals are, or what their challenges are. For, um, I would say, like children with perfectionistic tendencies or OCD tendencies, therapy usually takes longer. Um, or it's just ongoing. You're still making progress, but it's an ongoing form of therapy. And are you getting referrals from a certain doctor, therapist, like how are people learning about this? And I'm thinking about people listening to the podcast, like how they could know if art therapy could be a good fit for them or their kids or a family member. Yeah. So I'm getting referrals more through word of mouth. And then I, over the years, have made connections with other psychologists and psychologists who believe, who know me professionally, who think that I'm a good fit for certain clients or who believe that art therapy would be a good fit for these clients, they refer to me as well. But yeah, I think it's mostly word of mouth. And what kind of progress have you seen your clients make? So the progress that I see is um, that they're more confident, whether it's they're more confident as a learner or they're more confident in expressing their emotions, as well as being able to respond to their feelings. And I think that's one of the main goals that I always like to hit is you could have many different emotions. And that's great. You could be really angry. And sometimes like you should be. But it's the reaction that is also really important. Because if you can't react in a way that's actually going to one help you move forward with your anger or get past your anger then you're going to be stuck or if you're unable to express yourself in a articulate manner or in an appropriate manner then you're at a loss 
So when I see my clients able to do that, I know that they're making progress. That's got to be so cool to watch that happen. And I think it's something so important for kids to learn early on Mm -hmm. to then bring into their lives and how relevant it is even like as you get older to have those kind of skills and to have the tools that worked for you, you know, in the early years. You mentioned earlier that you always loved art and you always loved therapy. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I actually started to love therapy more when I was in high school. Before that, didn't hate therapy, but I would go and I literally, I wouldn't speak to my therapist. Why were you in therapy? When I was younger, it was more because I was extremely shy. Um, I didn't really like to express myself. And once I was comfortable, I was more outgoing. But in general, I didn't like to express myself at all. And I didn't really know how. I even remember being in middle school and my sister, my older sister, Lena, and I started to do this thing where we would write in a book back and forth to each other because it was so hard for me to tell her, like, I fucking hate you right now. Um, And she let me, like, write it out. And I would give her the book and she would write back to me. But when I was younger, I didn't like talking about my feelings. I I didn't know how to express them because I feel like I could be very reactive and not really know what I was saying or I would have feelings that I didn't really understand. And then when I was in high school, when I found therapists that I really liked, I was able to open up to them and they made me feel more comfortable talking about it. And that was all traditional, like, talk therapy. Yeah, that was all traditional talk therapy. I had no idea about art therapy when I was in high school. And growing up, though, I was always into art. I always took art classes, mostly painting classes. And in a way, it was my therapy. I kind of knew that it was making me feel better when I was doing it. And I wasn't necessarily the best artist. And I didn't care to be the best artist, but... There was something that was happening to me emotionally while I was painting, and I didn't really understand what it was. But looking back on it, it was my therapy. And in high school, actually, I always took art classes, and that was my form of therapy. I was very aware of, I need to go paint. I didn't know that there was such a thing as art therapy, but I was like, I need to go paint. I need to be in my own zone. I need to get this out. So that was always my approach to getting myself comfortable. What role do art and therapy play in your life now, aside from obviously teaching others? So therapy now is still actually traditional talk therapy. And I use a lot of painting as my own form of art therapy. My painting has actually, my style of painting has changed over the years where I used to like painting um, portraits or nude models or still life. And Now it's more abstract work. It's just a space for me to express myself. And there are so many times where I'm like, there's like a month or so where I haven't picked up a paintbrush for myself. And the second I do, I have no idea what I want to paint at all. But it's just like, oh, my God, I need this. And I'm able to kind of also meditate in that form. It's so cool to have an outlet like that. I feel like that with like live music, like being at a show. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't been to a show in two weeks. I feel deprived or yoga. I mean, I think everyone has something or 
hopefully has something because it's so important to have that outlet that when you return to the mat or you return to the, you know, canvas, it's like, oh, my God, this is this thing for me. And it's so a part of who you are that you need to stay connected to it. When you tell people what you do, do people know anything about art therapy? Are there misconceptions, you know, that you've encountered around art therapy? Um, it's kind of funny because you have a few reactions. Um, some people are like, oh, wow, art therapy, that's so cool. And I was like, oh, you've heard of it? And they're like, no. <laughs> so so like, weird. Okay. And then a lot of people like to guess or they're, they're like, yeah, I know what art therapy is. You give people like those ink block photos, right? And you ask them what they think they're looking at. I'm like, no, that's not it. And then they're like... Oh, so you teach people how to paint. And I'm like, no, that's not it either. I'll just like tell you. So (laughs) (laughs) you're wasting my time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I always have to really explain to people what art therapy is. And I try to find like the simplest form of explanation, which I still don't have down yet. But what I tell them is that it's basically going to see a psychotherapist and instead of talking about your issues or your challenges or whatever you came in for you are expressing yourself yourself through a creative means so you're using the artwork or the art process as a metaphor to work through whatever you came in for and what i always stress is that you don't need to be an artist You don't need to know how to paint. You don't need to know how to draw. You don't need to know how to um, build using wood or clay. You don't need to know anything about that because the art product is not what we're focusing on. It's really the process that is the therapy. And it's going through the process that is actually helping you work through your issues. So I would say that Art therapy is a form of therapy that is for anyone who's seeking therapy. Um, It's also for somebody who I would say does not feel comfortable or feels too vulnerable talking about their issues or are unable to actually articulate their feelings around their issues in using language. And I also think that when people seek an art therapist or whether it's for the first time or not to also remember that when you seek a therapist that you're going to talk to, sometimes it's not the right fit. And you go through a few therapists. I remember my sister just told me, she was like, I just had like five therapy interviews. I, and she's like, I'm interviewing them in a way. And I was like, five? Like, you still haven't found yours yet? She's like, no. And it took her, I think, about a couple of weeks to find the right therapist. And that's the same thing, same idea with art therapy. You might go to an art therapist and you're like, the therapist and I did not connect. And I just encourage you to go seek out another art therapist and see if you're able to connect with that therapist as well. I appreciate that you said that so much and I can relate to it so much from a business coaching standpoint is I have people that I talk to and I always say to them, feel free to like go out and talk to other people and see if they're a better fit or if you think this is a good fit, great. I don't want to force anyone into a situation that doesn't feel right. And you've got to feel that energy connection because not everyone belongs together. 
I'm not some buttoned up corporate coach, but there may be one out there that's a better fit for you. And I think that's the same with therapy, art therapy, lots of other things. Are there any people that you think cannot benefit or don't belong in art therapy? No, I don't think that there are people that don't belong. Um, I've had clients who for months didn't want to touch art materials. I've actually, I used to work with um, the visually impaired or blind. So if they could benefit from art therapy without necessarily seeing their art or what they were creating, then I think that goes to show that it's really in the process of what you're doing that is the art therapy. Love that. That's super cool. So how can people learn more about you and art therapy and work with you and all that good stuff? Okay. So I have a website, um, sad, S-A-A-D, arttherapy.com. And that has all my contact info. And I also have an Instagram account, which is sad art therapy on Instagram. And you could find me on my website, on my Instagram account. And I do run some workshops around the city for continuing ed credits on art therapy in schools or just different art therapy techniques. Are there any books or resources or podcasts or anything that you'd recommend for people to learn more about the concept of art therapy? Anything that's been valuable for you or your clients? I would say that I would stay away from the like art therapy coloring books that you could buy in Barnes and Nobles because as an art therapist, not I actually think that coloring pages are very helpful and are very therapeutic, but they aren't made by art therapists. And when you see an art therapist, depending on what your challenges are, what your issues are, we're going to recommend or guide you through specific activities or directives. And it's funny because a lot of times when you're stressed, for some people, coloring in like tiny images or tiny pictures or staying in the line, like that's more stressful. And a book doesn't know who you are and a book doesn't understand art therapy in that way. But what I do recommend is just kind of, I would say, Googling art therapy. What I like to do is also watch, like, there are some YouTube videos of art therapists and, like, what they do. And I think that's really helpful. Anyone specific? Not that I could think of off the top of my head. Okay. If you come up with anyone, we'll include it in the show notes for sure. Okay, great. Thank you, my dear. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.